You're listening to episode 22 of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Today, our special guest is Dr. Tony Sukman. Tony is, among many things, the founder and senior consultant at Relationship-Centered Healthcare. We had a lively conversation with Tony about the individual and team polarity. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years. During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. It's Tracy and Michelle, and what a show we have for you today. It is awesome. Yeah. Today, we had the pleasure to speak with Dr. Tony Sukman. Now, Tony's been a colleague of ours for a long time, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about individual and team polarity. And we did a previous episode on this, Michelle. I think Mm -hmm. it was episode number 11. And uh, in that episode, uh, we talked about just kind of some of the dynamics that are happening in healthcare and what's driving us towards team care, you know, Mm -hmm. team-based care, like quality challenges, poor communication, coordination, those kinds of things. And, and we talked about that there is a downside if we overemphasize and overfocus on team. And we kind of laid out the upsides, the downsides, walk through the whole polarity basically. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that. It might be helpful uh, to prepare you for today's conversation that we have with Tony. But today in talking with Tony, Tony's a physician, which is really great to have on the show because he just has a whole different perspective, right? Right, right. And it was just amazing to talk to him. He has such an incredible background, which we'll go over in a few minutes. But he really shared a lot, opened up my thinking. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you think you know these polarities, and then you get in these conversations like, holy moly, there's so much more to think about, you know? Yeah, and this is a, his experience is so rich. Oh, just yeah. Unbelievable. And, and just besides, he's just such a great guy. He is. Right? He's just a gentle soul. He's just a wonderful human being mm-hmm. and so wise. And, and he shared a few things struck me that he talked about today. And he talked a lot about systems thinking, and mm-hmm. that's been a part of our thinking for a long time. It really is the foundation for polarity thinking. Uh, but in, in his talking about it, just reminding us that, you know, that we really are trying to hold a dual identity here. <laughs> right. Right. Being whole in a, of ourselves as individuals, but then being that part of a system is kind of that part and whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about systems thinking and individuals and teams, just kind of brought a much bigger perspective to this polarity for me. Um, and then just the role of leadership and how significant Systems thinking, polarity thinking, right? The skills that they need and what's not being provided today and just what the opportunities are out there for leaders to learn these skills um, to really help with conflict and just the tensions that they're experiencing and to be able to lean into those tensions. That's right. And have a different perspective than what their mental models are today. So that's really a gift that Tony brings to healthcare leaders. And, you know, and Tony's been one of those individuals that just keeps popping in and out of our life. And every time we're with him, we just so appreciate 
his leadership and his friendship. And uh, we first met him in the early 2000s, um, which he'll refer to in his interview of how we all came together as consultants. We were all passionate about creating healthy healing work cultures. And so we kind of formed this little group called the H2O Group, the Healthy Healing Organization Group, where we learned together. We shared strategies. and Those were great times. Those were great times, right? And then, most recently, uh, Tony invited Tracy and I to uh, facilitate a day on clarity thinking with his leading organization to health group. So there's that health thing again. And we did a whole um, day on clarity thinking with leaders from across the country, and that was so much fun. Oh, yeah. That was fabulous. Yes. The energy in that room was incredible. Yes, and it the, was. the openness, yes. right? Which is, I think, a part of what he's teaching, right? Be open. Right? right, just to be open to receive and to be willing to change, yep. and that's what we're all about here in the podcast too. Right? right, be right. open, starting that movement, folks. That's right. <laughs> so let's tell you a little bit about our colleague, Dr. Tony Sukman. He's a primary care internist, clinical professor of medicine at the University of Rochester, and an organizational change consultant with a special emphasis on system integration and transformation. He earned his BA degree and his MD degree at the Cornell University and completed a residency in internal medicine and fellowships in health services research and behavioral and psychosocial medicine at the University of Rochester. For 16 years, he worked on the medical school faculty in Rochester, studying and teaching patient and clinician relationships, and became a leading proponent on a clinical philosophy called relationship-centered care. Tony then became interested in the effect of organizational culture on clinical care and medical education. Wow. I'm already impressed. I know. I got more. You got more? <laughs> I got more on Tony. What do you have on Tony? Here we go. He worked for five years as a senior executive in integrated delivery systems and earned an MA in organizational change at the University of Hertfordshire. That's in the UK. In 2000, he founded a consulting group, Relationship-Centered Healthcare, that works with leaders, staff, customers, and board members of healthcare organizations worldwide to advance the practice of relationship-centered administration. Tony's also pioneered interventional applications of relational coordination, and that's a theory by Jody Hoffer-Gattel, uh, describing how teams manage their interdependence to carry out complex tasks. He most recently wrote a book or co-authored that book with David Slutier and Penny Williamson. And that's called Leading Change in Healthcare, Transforming Organizations Using Complexity, Positive Psychology, and Relationship-Centered Care. What a great guy. He is. He's so wise. No wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, without further ado, here's, here's Tony. Tony. Well, welcome, Tony. Hello. Hello. We're so glad to have you with us and so grateful that you're able to spend time with us today and uh, for the opportunity to talk about the individual and team polarity with you uh, and share this with our listeners. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we go back a long way. It's just Indeed. awesome to be with you. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we kind of been reflecting on the seasons of life, and we've had some conversations about that recently as well. And we know you've got some grandchildren, and I'm, of course, I'm a grandma as well. And so, you know, that's near and dear to my heart. But I just kind of wondered, tell us a little bit about that, what that's like for you these days, and kind of how, how those grandchildren maybe keep you balanced. 
Well, that's a that's a great question and a lot of uh, wisdom behind the question. They do create a lot of balance by showing you what's really important: this sense of continuity, these new lives coming into the world. I mean, it, it was magic when I was a, a parent and when our two children were born, and uh, that was the most amazing thing. But you're also very busy with all the work of being a parent. So, with a grand, as a grandfather, I can just be amazed and not have the same day-to-day responsibility. So I can just dwell in the amazement much more. And and my job is just to make them feel like the two most loved human beings on the planet. <laughs> That's a great job. I love doing that. They, they live about six hours away. I'm trying to see them uh, as close to once a month as I can. We go down there. It's, we're coming pretty close to that. Well, that, you got to set some goals around that. I know my grandchildren live thousands of miles away, so it's really hard. Thank goodness for Skype and FaceTime and those kinds of things. But you're right. That's when I'm with them, I'm with them 100 yeah. percent. Every part of me, heart, soul, <laughs> mind, I am with them on the floor, wherever they want to be. <laughs> right. And I knew I'd have to make changes in my work life to accommodate that. That was such an important goal. So it was time to start working less to make room for that. That's and wonderful. So that, that really did reset priorities in a very, very uh, tangible way. Well, I don't, this is Michelle, I don't have any grandchildren yet, but I have to tell you, I love watching the transformation of all of my colleagues and friends when they become one. It's just, <laughs> it's palpable, you know, just even, it's just really amazing. It's really cool. Yeah, it is. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sure. Thanks for asking. So, Tony, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you were introduced to polarity thinking and how you've applied it to your professional and personal life? Well, sure. As you alluded to a few moments ago, um, it was I learned about it from you two and from Bonnie Wasark. I was a, uh, a, a partner in a consulting group that you all were a part of. And um, and Barry Johnson, who developed polarity management, was also involved in that group. So th- through you all, I heard about polarities, and then met him, and then really liked that idea. And I've been I've been using it ever since. Um, it's a my background is in in uh, communication and relationships in a healthcare context, starting with patient clinician relationships, but then generalizing. And and I find Polarities, polarity to be a very helpful concept in terms of helping people understand and make sense of conversations that they're having, particularly when there are conflicts or long-standing conflicts in some cases. And I think it also helps in people being able to start to see things from a systems perspective, not just to see their own view or not just see their own role, but to see how there are lots of views and lots of roles. Uh, and, and I find it a very helpful tool for helping people take a systems perspective to kind of zoom out and see the bigger picture. Yeah, very practical. And people like it, and people understand it, they get it right away, and they find it very useful. So that, that's how I've been using it. That's great. So it sounds like a little bit of one-on-one with clinicians, but also in some of your consulting work, um, sharing it. Um, that- yeah, most, most, yeah, mostly in the consulting work yeah. and, the, and the teaching. Yeah, and that's what we find, too, that people are hungry to learn more, and that's why we're so excited to continue to bring it out there and share it with healthcare leaders. Um, yeah, and to your point, yeah. I think uh, what we've also seen is that it does help people 
make sense of what they're experiencing. Like they, 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 they've had the experience that they don't know what to call it or they don't know how to organize it, right, in their thinking yep. uh, to understand it better. So I, I find it's been really helpful for that as well. Mm-hmm. Particularly in a situation where there is some conflict, where there is some tension, in the absence of another framework, the first place we all go with that is to personalize it. Oh, that person is just a jerk or they're stubborn or they're dumb or whatever. And 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 people personalize it back at us and then we get defensive and then we're the conflict amplifies because of all of that emotion, all of that all of that drama. So it's like the first place we take it in the absence of a different way of understanding what's going on here. Oh, it's not that they're dumb, it's that they see things differently and they have different needs and and so do I. But that's what that systems view is, getting that wider that wider picture. Yeah. So um, in your observation today in healthcare, Tony, how well do you think people are managing the individual and team polarity? What's happening out there today? Well, I can answer that very confidently by saying it depends. (laughs) 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 It depends on what level you're looking at. I think it depends on which which professional or which occupational group you're looking at. uh, so I think I think there are issues with how it's managed, uh, but both by an overfocus on individual, but perhaps overfocus on on teams too. So I think I think we have we have a lot to learn in this area. So it's great that we're having this conversation, and we can all be learning together, and hopefully helping the listeners learn with us. Um, as a doctor, I can speak with the greatest confidence or credibility. From that perspective, from the doctor's perspective, I think historically, the individual was overemphasized since forever. <laughs> the idea, I'm a doctor, I have this diploma, maybe I have this board certification, whatever, I have these credentials, and so I'm supposed to be the king. There's a gender component too. It's supposed to be the king of the hill here, and everybody's supposed to uh, do what I say. And I'm supposed to be in charge, and if anything goes wrong, it's my fault. I can remember times in medical school when people would say, it's up to you, doctor. Did you look at that x-ray yourself? Did you do that urinalysis yourself? Did you do all these things yourself? And not, not a lot about trusting other people. You really can't trust them. You need to go check it out yourself, and it's your responsibility. And your patient might die if you don't do this. This incredible almost crushing kind of individualistic sense of responsibility. So it's no wonder that we have to do almost a kind of remedial training for us docs to help us be better team members. It's not because we're bad people, but we just had this crushed into us, (laughs) humiliated into us, that you as an individual are responsible. So that's a lot to overcome when you're trying to foster team care. I don't know, I can't speak with the same direct experience for other professions. It, it, It might be different. But I look at things like um, Team Steps, for example, a very popular and and useful framework for thinking about teams. But the, the way that I had my own Team Steps training in my hospital, my health system, was I went and then a whole bunch of other people went to that, but they were from a lot of all different teams. So everybody was coming to get individually trained in Team Steps, but we didn't get trained as the actual team working together and talking about our own dynamics and how we work together. So even some of the team training is still about individual teaming skills, but still not getting to the level of how the teams 
are actually working together, making the team the unit. So I think that's that's one issue. Um, simulation centers are starting to address that, where you do get intact teams going through kind of actual work scenarios together and then debriefing how they're working together. That's a huge step forward. Um, at the level of financial incentives, certainly for doctors, it's still mostly based on individual performance. For executives, like all the members on a C-suite, uh, or other other managers, it may more often be based on individual incentives rather than collective incentives. Although that that varies from institution, that's part of the it depends. It uh, it, it depends on a lot of things. Uh, so the and um, the move towards service line management is another effort that really speaks to this point. Trying to manage and look at things as as the as the team of people from all the different professions, all the different roles that come together. And that's a good thing, but the problem there goes to the other side. Sometimes there's an issue of people feeling like they are losing their professional identity or the reinforcement for their professional skills and competence if the emphasis is so, so completely on the team that we don't come back and pick up uh, what's the unique thing that each person brings to the team, what's their background, and how do we, how do we help them be differentiated even as we're all together. So I think from both sides, there are issues, but if, if it's tilted, if the problem is more on one side than the other, I'd, still, I'd say it's still a little more on the excessive emphasis for the individual uh, rather, rather than the team. But it's possible to go too far the other way, too. Yeah, well, yeah it's possible to go to the downside of both, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, it just, it just depends, again, like you said, right? It depends, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it depends on the experiences, right, what they're experiencing now and what they understand about that. And what they're trying to move, uh, oftentimes they're trying to move away from something and towards something. Uh, if they don't understand that it, it's actually a polarity and they need to just step back and address both, right? Yeah. Just, or, what do we need to retain of what we're moving from? Exactly. What's, yeah. what's the positive right. that we have experienced around individual or team? And, uh, and then, you know, what do we need to shore up, right, on the other, on the other pool or develop? Yeah. The way I've been thinking about this more and more is that our biggest need right now in healthcare is to foster systemness. Uh, that, that, that we understand we have our individual competencies and our unique tasks and roles, and we're doing that mindful that we're part of a system. So it's a both end, we're the individual and we're the team and we're the system at the same time. Having a shared purpose, having a, being able to understand the system as a whole, what other people are doing and how we fit in with that and the ability to manage our interdependence. There's a whole discipline called relational coordination, a whole model that's really good about this kind of system. And for, for that system to work, it requires both individual skills and team skills and team training. It's, it's, it's clearly a both end. You can't get there just from one side or the other. Right. right. Yeah, it really helps you look at things more holistically. Yeah. 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 It does. Mm-hmm. So out of some of the things that you just mentioned, are there others that you think may be really um, supporting or hindering the management of this polarity? Uh, I, th- I think first and foremost about our habits of thinking, about the kind of mental models that we have or that we download, to use Otto Sharma's word, ways that we we just sort of absorb them from what everybody else is doing or what we were taught. And sometimes we're not even aware that those are our mental models. We just think that that's how the world is. We're not kind of critical about our own ways of thinking, our own habits of 
habits of perceiving. And so there are two ways of thinking that I think are particularly critical here. One is the presence or absence of systems thinking, the capacity to see the whole rather than just our own part. So I think if we, if we, if we are systems thinker, that gives us a big head start to manage this polarity well. If we, if we haven't learned that capacity, it's going to be much harder to do that because we just see our own thing and we think we're right, they're wrong, and that's the end of the story. We don't go very far with it. The other kind of mental model or habit of thinking has to do with um, linear thinking versus complexity, nonlinear thinking. Uh, in, in, in linear thinking, you think A causes B. And if I can, if I can measure A, then I can predict B. And if I can, even better, if I can control A, I can control B. But it's just that direct cause and effect kind of relationship. You just boil it down to that basic thing. In nonlinear thinking, you say, well, A influences B for sure, but at the same time, B is going back and influencing A. And C is there influencing all those things. So all these different things influencing each other simultaneously. It's a, it, in a way, it's more frustrating because it's not as simple and it doesn't give you that sense of, I can control this. But it's also more realistic. So I think if we have that kind of complexity view, that, that self-organization going on, that gives us a better chance of understanding polarities and how to manage them. Whereas that linear cause and effect, that's going to predispose us to just try to line up on one pole or another and not be able to see the whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, and I was thinking as you were talking about the whole system thinking, really, it's kind of that bigger mother polarity around part and whole. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Some other factors that affect the management would be incentive systems. So again, if our incentive is based on how the whole team is doing or how the whole organization is doing, that focuses our attention one way. If it's based on you meeting your own performance goals, there's a then you're gonna then you're gonna um, work on your goals so hard that you might actually be getting in the way of other people's goals. And there's actually a technical term for that. It's called sub-goal optimization. You're maximizing sub-goals at the expense of the larger over, overarching goal. So that's, that's another fact. So, Tony, in following your work, we know that um, you've been very focused on organizational culture and team performance. And we, the word culture comes up on almost every podcast we do, but we'd like to hear from you on what the role culture, you know, really plays in managing this polarity. Well, thank you for that slow pitch right over home plate. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to swing it this or swing it this or hit it out of the park. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's, I love the question. Thank you. Um, so culture. If we define culture as the patterns, the relational patterns, how, how we are with each other, how we behave, how we talk, what kind of things we talk about, what kinds of things seem to be off limits. Uh, uh, so, so all those dimensions or ground rules about our, about our relationships and how we're going to work and talk and communicate. Um, I, I, there are several points of culture that I think are, are uh, really critical. The first, and maybe the most important, is that there be enough trust, enough psychological safety, that people can speak up, that people can say what they're thinking and not feel like they're going to get humiliated for it or punished for it or criticized or ostracized, rejected, whatever. Because uh, 
you know, if we need the different perspectives to be there, uh, in, in any polarity, people have to hear and value each other. There's a, an openness to hearing and an openness to having the way you think be changed by what you hear from other people. So that, that kind of valuing and openness, you could call that humility. And Shine writes a lot about humility, humble inquiry, humble leadership, humble consulting, great series of books going there. Um, then I think part of the culture is having a discipline of process reflection. It is a jargony term. I, I should, let me see if I can say that better. For people, both individually and as a group, to step back and look at ourselves and say, what am I doing? What am I thinking? How am I acting? What impact am I having? How are we talking with each other? How good a job are we doing of hearing each other? Um, if there's some tension, how are we managing that in a, in a constructive way or not? <laughs> and and to, have, to have that discipline of reflection just as a part of our normal way of doing work so that on a, on a team, anybody at any given moment could say, time out, I think, I think we have a little unaddressed conflict here or, or I'm not sure we're listening to each other as well as we want to be or whatever. So the whole team can be self-facilitating and self-correcting and it's no big deal. That's just the normal way we do things around here. Um, that's the kind of culture and, it, and it's possible. There are places that get there. There are places that seem like it could never be possible. But even, even there, um, it is possible. So, so deeper to all that is a kind of a fundamental valuing of relationships and interpersonal process, saying that that's important, that that's the biggest determinant of performance, really. And if, if people tend to look at that as touchy-feely and dismiss it and say, we have real work to do, uh, they're never going to get anywhere. So you have to really value and pay attention and recognize the importance of the relational dimension. So it's like you have to value culture and pay attention to it and, and understand that you have to invest some time and attention and that has to be a kind of a, a routine discipline. I know that's been a common denominator in all of our work for more, more decades than any of us want to count, but that's, that's, that's really at the core. And I think leaders set the tone for that and they they cast a really long shadow so if, if there's i worked for a ceo who got anxious with all that kind of stuff and he just shut it down everybody across the whole organization it's amazing the way his particular pattern of anxiety affected everybody and everything yeah well, i think that's a good point um i mean it's the hard work to me the culture work is the hardest work that there is to do yeah and you know, and then it just goes to show that when you have a leader with power, whatever their perspectives are, right, can drive how these polarities are managed overall. Because if they're going to shy away from it or they're going to step back and not let this kind of, you know, expand and be explored, then you're going to have difficulty throughout the organization trying to manage it if, if you can't shine a light on it and have the kind of open conversations to develop the trust, to develop the relationships, right? To, to create that space for it to, to really become understood and managed and leveraged over time. It's just not going to happen. It's that power yeah. of the leader. Well, and I think from our experience too, it's put around a time factor. We don't have time for that. And of <laughs> course, when you understand the impact over time, you're, you know, you're thinking you, you don't, you don't have time not to do this. You know? Exactly. What's it costing you in time when you don't pay attention? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I agree, yeah. I agree with you, Tracy. It is, it is the hard stuff, but as, as you said, Tony, it's often referred to as the fluff or... Yeah, yeah. I, I had to think I had a president of a healthcare organization one time, too. They, they're like, it's not the sexy stuff, right? Yeah. It's not the shiny object, right? It's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's work. And, and that raises the issue of to whom do we entrust these leadership roles? And how do, we accept, how do we figure out who's worthy of that trust and who isn't? And so a lot of action is at the level of the search committees and the search criteria and the behavioral interviewing and other kinds of uh, methods like that for trying to assess this. And certainly finding out about the impact people have had on the culture of the places that they were. It's amazing how much that doesn't happen the way that it should. And then a disaster at one organization gets repeated at the next one and even the next one. So, 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 uh, I, you know, I, I know we all agree we can't emphasize how important that leadership issue is, and and it starts with the selection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, there there really is right now a pretty heavy emphasis, right, on moving towards team based care. There seems to be, you know, we've been in the downside of individual autonomy. We kind of nationally seem to be moving right towards this everything's team, right? Everything's team-based. You have to have a team. Um, so from a physician perspective, kind of what's your perspective on that? And and what needs to be maintained when it comes to individual autonomy uh, in the midst of moving towards team-based care, just from your perspective as a physician? What a great question. That goes right to the heart of the matter of what's going on with uh, with physicians these days and with the burnout epidemic um so you so you mentioned independent autonomy those those are the, the good old days in quotes they weren't really <laughs> but from from a doctor's perspective it might be easy to see it that way if the world was revolving around you so there was there was independent autonomy really no accountability i've got my diploma i've got my degree whatever so nobody's nobody's checking up on me and i'm going to take care of asthma or heart disease the way I think it's most important and no one's going to check up on me or follow up. I'm a professional, which means I'm self-regulating by definition. So not much accountability, absolute individual autonomy. That didn't work so well. Uh, And so uh, the response to that was uh, prior authorization and, and financial incentives, you know, pay for performance based on pretty crummy measures for the most part, things that are easy to measure, but maybe not that clinically relevant. Um, And it gave people a sense, gave doctors, gave us a sense of being micromanaged. So we went from absolute, almost arbitrary individual autonomy to no autonomy, to just being controlled. And, And we know from huge amounts of research in motivational psychology, a theory called self determination theory, must be 10,000 studies no exaggeration in this in this domain that um, that uh, autonomy support is a really important uh, motivator of of behavior change that people need to feel that their autonomy is being supported. So when we go to this top-down micromanagement and there is no autonomy, it it kind of crushes the spirit and destroys the motivation of people. It also actually deprives us 
of their wisdom, of their knowledge of the local decision-making that they can do that might be better than any centralized decision-making. It, it takes a lot of minds off the case. So we have what seems like this choice between independent autonomy or hyper-accountability and micromanagement. So the third way is interdependent autonomy. To recognize, yes, we still need you to make, we need doctors to make their own best local decisions, and nurses and everybody else, by the way, but you asked me specifically about the medical profession. So we need doctors to be able to use their independent judgment. But as they're doing that, it's not just based on their own particular preferences, but it's based upon they're making those decisions based on what's best from that system perspective, from the perspective of the team, from the perspective of everybody working together. It's like the bumper sticker that says, think globally, act locally. So so we still need that autonomy, but there's a kind of an accountability to each other and, and a meaningful kind of lateral accountability, um, not the top-down micromanaging kind of accountability, though ultimately that may need to be a backstop for some extreme individuals. But most of that accountability is just how the way I'm doing my work is affecting you and how the way your work is affecting me and that we can talk about that and let each other know and be responsive to that and develop that as part of our part of our culture, part of our way of being together. Yeah, and Tony, if if uh, that interdependence isn't recognized in that situation and an organization is just so committed to teamwork because of the downside of the individual um, performance, what will be some of the negative consequences that will show up if we're too team-focused? Um, it, it, it's, it's like the this, this straitjacket approach. It, uh, it, it's one-size-fits-all. It's people feel like, I can't, I can't use my own best judgment. I can't customize the situation to what I can see this very local situation needs, this patient's needs, or, or what will let me do my work better if I could do it this way than that way, because I'm not, I'm a little different than this other doctor or whatever. So you, you lose that ability to, to customize or do local adaptations that make it work better when it becomes so, so rigid and standardized. Yeah, confined. Straight jacket was a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not too many people like that. Well, no, they don't. And, you know, we also have been thinking and talking to people about moral distress. And it's hard when you know there's another better answer because of your own knowledge and your scope of practice, but you're too in that confined, this is the way we're doing it as a team. It, it causes distress, which also then leads to the burnout issues. Yeah. Well, when you raise moral distress, that raises another issue. It, it, it's, it's bad enough. Let's say we have standard clinical pathways and you're rewarded for how much you comply with those pathways and you're punished for deviating with them, deviating from them without looking into the appropriateness of deviation. Uh, so if, if those pathways, at least if they're being done from a point of view of trying to improve safety and outcomes and, and, and they still have the best care, that's one thing, that's hard enough. But if you then think that the pathways are being done for the financial benefit of the organization, and quality is kind of secondary, you don't even have that trust about the motivation for where these standardized processes are going, that makes it even worse. And that's where the moral injury comes in, where you feel like you're being required to do something that you think is actually uh, uh, harming the patient, 
uh, not in the patient's best interest, but in the organization's best interest. So there's those there's those two levels of problem with with even trusting what the where, what the controlling force or process what its goals are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we've all um, experienced this polarity in one way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit, maybe about a time when? Maybe this wasn't being balanced so well in your world uh, for you. And um, kind of what were some of the warning signs that kind of clued you in like, oh, I'm not doing too well with this <laughs> individual team polarity. What what might be some early indicators that you identified or you noticed for yourself? Um, and then maybe what were some action steps that you took simultaneously to get a little bit more better uh, dynamic balance between the two poles? And I have to say, the stories that came to mind for me were mostly the stories that I experienced as a part of a system, as as a worker in the system. Um, uh, and, and maybe those stories were so strong that they sensitized me to this when I was in more of a, a manager and leader kind of role. But I think it was just what we were talking about before, about Look at all these hoops that I have to jump through, and I know this is not value added to the patient. It's just taking more time, and it's it's costing, so it's wasteful, and 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 uh, and I'm just feeling utterly disrespected and not trusted. It's like this whole system I have to go through because there are a few bad apples. That's the sort of the language that's sometimes used, and uh, and, and I don't have the ability to redesign this process in a way that I know could could work better. And and it was actually that kind of feeling that helped get me involved in this work in the first place and say, I want to, we have to be able to develop a more, more balanced approach. I mean, we can't have everybody go off and do their own thing and I'm using this device and I'm using that one and then we have to have a dozen different sets of devices and the hardware that goes with them and that's costly and no nobody's familiar with any of them. Uh, but to give it back to the community and let the community own that and decide instead of just dictating them. You know, there are, there are methods of co-creation, methods of engagement and participation to address those things, to get to get the, the local practice community to take responsibility for itself. Same thing about giving, giving practice feedback and giving numbers. There's a kind of a relational way to use those numbers rather than judging somebody and giving them a financial benefit or penalty, either way, it's still controlling and micromanaging, as opposed to sitting down with the group and saying, let's make sense of these numbers together. Let's figure out what they mean and what we want to do about it. It's just appealing to people's professionalism and people's desire to give really good care, which is almost universal. But it's a more engaging, co-creating way rather than the top-down top down control. So, so I think I think that's the trying to balance doing it as a team, but still with individual voices and re- respecting individuals' autonomy. But they may have to get together and put their autonomies together and decide what they want to do together. So I, I think that's that's what that good balance would kind of look like. Yeah, that reminds me of the the last episode that we did on individual and team, where we talked about there is an individual in team. There is an I in team. Yes. Yeah. Teams are made mm-hmm. up of individuals. You can't deny the individual just to have the team, right? That's right. That's right. Um, in fact, a, a word like team or a word like organization is a kind of convenient fiction. 
I, you can't hold an organization in your hand. It, it, it's useful to have a noun to refer to that, but what that is is actually nothing. It's comprised of individuals, and if there weren't individuals, there wouldn't be the team. There wouldn't be the organization. So we, we can't ignore that fact. No, no. So, Tony, I know that you, we talked about leaders earlier and how important that leadership is and the impact on uh, leaders' own emotional and mental state. What advice would you have for leaders listening to our podcast about the role of the leader in assuring that there is a dynamic balance between individual health professionals and healthcare teams? First of all, I think just to play a little bit and be a little provocative, I'd say get rid of the idea that there's care delivered by individuals. Just get rid of that idea. As, as we were saying a moment ago, we need individuals. There is no care without individuals. But at the same time, um, there's no individual who can give care all by him or herself. So we're all absolutely embedded. Even if we're the one person in an office, you have one of those current, the, the primary care practice where you're the only practitioner, you don't have any staff people, you're still part of the system and you're still interdependent upon other people. So, so to the extent that right now we err too much on the side of, thinking about it as an individualistic thing, we have to really try to thwart that and help people think systemly, think on systemness. But at the same time, there's no such thing as a team or organization absent individuals. So what I would propose is that we embrace a word that was coined 50 or 60 years ago by Arthur Kessler. It's the word holon, H-O-L-O-N. A holon is something that is a complete whole and a part of a larger whole at the same time, simultaneously. It's like light is a wave and a particle at the same time. It has this dual nature. So, so we are autonomous individuals and we are members of the system at the same time. And, um, and so we need, to, we need to foster that kind of, we need to think of ourselves that way as leaders and we need to help the people that we're working with foster that, that kind of dual nature at the same time. And that applies, by the way, it applies equally well to care as well as to the work of management. I think that, that notion of whole line, that being an autonomous individual and an accountable part of a larger whole. Uh, so that, that would be the first thing. Uh, just, just get rid of e- either one as a pure culture and think that we, we need the boats and they're, and they're interdependent, which is the heart of a polarity, what a polarity is. So then leaders can emphasize the system's perspective. And like I said a moment ago, I think we need to overemphasize that because we lean too hard towards the individual side, just coming up in our very individualistic Western culture. Um, so we need to emphasize the system's perspective continually. And we have to foster the kinds of conversations on which that systemness depends. Um, there, are, uh, there are conversations about what's our shared goal. There are conversations that it takes to have a system perspective. Nobody can have that by yourself. So we can only get that systems perspective by talking with each other and hearing other perspectives. That's just as true of leaders as anybody else. A leader can't have a system perspective by themselves. And then we have to have conversations about our interdependence, learn to talk about it and manage it in a normal way, as we were talking about it a little while back about how does the way I'm doing my work affect your ability to do yours? 
and vice versa. Or in this, this specific case, this, the unique needs of this patient in this moment, what do I need from you and what do you need from me? And not feel like we're getting in each other's case or telling each other what to do, but how else could we know if we can't talk about it? So managing that, managing that interdependence. So, so I think the leaders can foster those three kinds of conversations of, of systemness. Um, and then uh, there's a kind of tension there between the individual perspective and the team perspective, whether it comes to individual and team training or individual and team incentives. Uh, and so part of the leader's job is to hold that tension, not to feel like you have to resolve it one way or the other, or like you have to decide on some exact formula. It's 65% this, 35% that. It's going to move and adapt as the situation goes. So that's part of taking that system perspective. That's part of managing the polarity effectively. I, I, I think that's, so it's, it's, that, it's that focus on systemness, both as, as leaders, as we think about our own jobs and as we help the people working forward with us think about theirs. I think that's, that's the single most important thing. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's been one of our messages too, is, you know, people tend to look at the parts, like leaders tend to look at the parts, but they don't look at the interdependent relationship. Right. And that it's this is a dynamic thing, right? Right. right. And we tend to look at patient safety, clinician safety, right? Patient satisfaction, staff satisfaction. Like we tend to look yeah. at things compartmentally versus yeah. the interdependent relationship and the energy, right, that sits between these and how to how to manage that tension, how to leverage that tension and lean into it and learn from it, right, to move forward. Right. And it, it's not like those deep dives into patient safety or any of those other things aren't valuable. We, we learn a lot from doing it. They're important, but we also have to come up and relocate them in that larger context. I, I was doing consulting, some consulting at a Southwestern healthcare system, and I learned uh, and I heard the phrase waterfall. I don't know if you've heard this, but the middle managers felt like they were under a waterfall of initiatives coming down from everybody in the C-suite. There was a new budgeting initiative and a new safety initiative and a new uh, community outreach initiative and you know so many initiatives. And each one was very well motivated. Each one was valuable, but each one was done without realizing how many other initiatives there were before at the same time. And so the managers were receiving all this stuff and they couldn't do it all. And they just felt like they were standing under a waterfall and they're very appropriate, very adaptive solution was to ignore it all, because as likely as not, six months later, they weren't going to be doing it again anyway, and just wait and see what did someone come and hold them accountable to do, and only when they got held to that first round of accountability would they then come back and do it. So that was that lack of that system perspective. Uh, again, each of those parts was very well motivated, but they were executed without any context for the whole. Yeah, we hear that often from the healthcare leaders we work with that one of their biggest challenges is competing initiatives. Competing initiatives, prioritizing. Yeah, right. exactly. Well, and then how many of those things have they, this is the 10th time they're visiting it, right? Like, yeah. because it's a polarity, not yes. a problem to solve. So they're back at it again right. with a new initiative, a new strategy, 
you know, like we must have missed something over here the last time we did this. So we're going to come back. We're going to do it. We're going to put a different face on this. Yep. <laughs> right. And we just keep beating the horse here that's already go. died. <laughs> here we go again. That's the hallmark of the party. Just round and round. Are we doing this again? I can't believe it. You know. Yes. Well, you know, we did this last time. It didn't last. So I'm just I'm just not going to do this. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we've been here before and nothing seems to work. So I'm not going to put my energy into this. And Yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of that circle yep. that you get into, right? Well, do you, so as we've been talking about leaders, um, what about preparing the leaders in the future workforce to be prepared to have this systems kind of thinking, this polarity lens, right, on individual and team? And what are your thoughts about how do we prepare people um, leaders, clinicians, mm-hmm. to to leverage this. Yeah, this is this is not just a hypothetical question for me. I've, I've, I've had the wonderful opportunity to design a program for people on leading organizational change, and so we thought, what what goes into that? Um, uh, so it won't surprise you if I say systems thinking, because we've been talking. <laughs> this really, hour. I had never thought of that. <laughs> oh, I know how, how novel. Um, but that also depends upon kind of self-awareness and communication skills, listening skills and, and effective communication and facilitation skills, how to help manage conversations and help people bring, really to help people bring their different points of view together and manage those differences as the most profound resource that we have. Because all too often the differences just become a stumbling block. That's where we get stuck. But in fact, those differences, if we handle them right, then then that's that's our that's our our uh, our reservoir of novel ideas, of unique inspirations that will be the key to figuring something out, something new, or adapting to some kind of change. So so it's the systems thinking, the listening, communication, and facilitation skill. I, I think that that should be much more emphasized in leadership training than it is right now. Right now, a lot of leadership training is still more towards linear thinking. This problem, this solution, a whole bunch of magic bullets, and and they don't work. It, they don't recognize the 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 reality of interpersonal dynamics and and complexity or nonlinear systems and polarities. They just they just don't prepare people for that part of the work. Now they don't. So we got to be better. Well, yeah, lots of opportunities. Collaborate on that, right, Tony? Yep. Yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Tony, I've, I've had the opportunity to be in the field with Tony, too, watching him work. And I'm struck with the same, um, just the same feeling that I did back then. And that is, you. first of all, I admire you for going out into the world and doing something about the things that weren't right, you know, and learning about it and then spending time with your colleagues and showing them a different way. And I think uh, one of your great gifts is you're just so articulate and you make it, it comes across just so simple and so logical. <laughs> we know we know there's a lot of missing logic out there, but the, yeah. way, the way that you communicate it, um, it's really wonderful. It just makes a lot of sense, and mm-hmm. um, you, your wisdom just shines through. So I just really want to thank you for being with us today. That's that's very kind of you. Thank you. I also want to thank you both for for being such champions for um, 
the polarity management approach, which is so important. And I know you have reached countless people, and those people have a very powerful tool, and they can do better results. So you probably don't even have a chance to see all the impact that you're having. But I want to, on behalf of them and myself personally, I want to thank you for your work, too. It's, it really matters. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's kind of this, what struck me today as you were talking, you know, we've been we've been exposed to systems thinking for a long, long time, right? And really have incorporated yeah. it into pretty much everything we've done. And polarity thinking is just one form of systems thinking. Um, but I was just really struck me as you were talking about, you can't have a systems perspective without other people, right? Without engaging with others. And just yeah. really thinking about this whole kind of dual identity um, of yourself as a whole, right, as, as an individual, but a, as a whole, as a part of yes. another whole, right? It's kind of that dual identity of yeah. who you are and what you bring in the context of everybody else. And that sometimes you think you have a systems perspective, but if you're just sitting out there by yourself thinking about it, do you really have a systems perspective, yeah. right? So that's why these conversations are so important. Right, yeah. because we have our perspective, and that's what I love about the podcast is we have a perspective. But then when we engage in some, with somebody else and having the conversation about this individual and team, I just have a whole other perspective, a bigger system level perspective of everything that's you know involved mm -hmm. with this. So thank you so much for you know helping me to think through that and expand my awareness. Oh, thank you. I, I, you. You have a lot of experience with that yourself too. Well, do you have any advice or closing remarks that you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up for today? Um, <laughs> study polarity management. <laughs> well done, it home makes, run. It makes a big difference. <laughs> and they didn't pay me to say that. <laughs> no, I think I think we've I think we've already you've heard about system is more than you want to. And the, and, the, and the core of relationships and, and trust and psychological safety, the, the, the environment in which we can even have those conversations in the first place, all those things are absolutely, they're not the fluff around the edges, that's the center of what makes it work. Um, there, there is no technical work that happens outside of a relational context. That was a double negative. That didn't work so well. Let me try it again. Um, every every bit of technical work happens within a relational context, and the quality of the relationships and the quality of the communication determines whether you're going to get benefit or harm from that technical intervention, whether it's a medical intervention or whether it's a management intervention. So everything is socio-technical. They're both they're, they're inextricable. There's no such thing as a pure culture technical thing. So we have to take the relational. Uh, dimension seriously, and we have to make that an essential form of competence and an, an essential dimension of management. We, we've, we've all been advocating that together for a long time, and I feel like the field is moving. I feel, I feel hopeful about that. So thank you for inviting me to talk with you. It's really been fun. It's just been a, it's been a, it's joy. Been a joy. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I just think that's, uh, that's the ticket right there. Let's just keep doing this. More of it, right? More of it, right. We'll have you back again. Absolutely. Talk about hierarchy and partnership. <laughs> you have a great day. Thank you so much for being with us. I yeah. know our listeners have learned a lot. Yes. Thank you, Tony. It's been such a pleasure. And I always learn talking with you all, too. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.
Thanks for tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.